This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, and this was supposed to be a day where we talked about the debut of Patrick Kane as a member of the Detroit Red Wings, and we will talk about that. But coming out of that game, with all due respect to Patrick Kane, future Hall of Famer, and one of the best American-born players ever, blah, 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 blah. The story coming out of it was the San Jose Sharks, their four-goal comeback. That is back-to-back comebacks for the San Jose Sharks. You know that team that we've kind of used as a pinata pretty much since the beginning of the season? Well, they've just scored two large comebacks back-to-back, one against the Islanders and last night um, against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you are and when you're listening. Maybe good evening if you're uh, listening on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the program once again as we wrap up another week here uh, on the old show. Coming up on today's program, Elliot's going to stop by in hour two. He has something to do this hour, so we've we've pushed him to 1.30 Eastern. Okay, so Elliot's coming up in hour two. Uh, Matt Marchese stops by in a moment. Mike Comito will be here as well. You've heard Mike here. You Maybe you follow him on Twitter as well. If you don't, you should. Uh, wonderful hockey historian based in Sudbury, uh, Northern Ontario. He um, His previous titles, um, Hockey 365, Daily Stories from the Ice, I swear... If I didn't have like a, a job where I had to document what happens on a daily basis in the NHL, stuff like this that I would want to do. Um, this was a great first offering, Hockey 365. He's followed it up and personalized it with this latest, Leafs 365. And on today, December the 8th, Toronto plays their 5,000th game in 1997. And there's a story about it tomorrow, by the way, the anniversary of Wafflegate. The waffle start of 2010, uh, Joe Robb throwing the waffle on the ice and then explaining to ESPN that if you drop the W in waffle, it sounds like awful. And that's what he was doing as he summed up the season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're going to get into some Maple Leaf talk. Big win last night against the Ottawa Senators. Big loss, though. Joe Wall will be out for some time. Sam Cosentino stops by an hour or two. And as I mentioned, Elliot Friedman does as well. But we have a lot to get to here. Uh, in the A block, in the opening segment here, Matt Marchese, our supervising producer, uh, our super fill-in host, uh, joins me now from Master Control. Hello, Maddie. Hey, Jeffy. How are you? I'm good, man. It was a busy week, and last night was a busy night, and it seemed like, they, did it not seem to you like every game had a significant story attached to it? Like, we'll get to the Los Angeles Kings, we'll get to the Columbus Blue Jackets, we'll get to the Maple Leaf situation, we'll get to Vancouver, we'll get to Calgary. Uh, and all points in between. Alex Ovechkin with 1,500 points now. We'll get to that game as well against Dallas. Nashville. You know what? Let me park that one about Nashville. Mm-hmm. So Nashville beats Tampa yesterday 5-1. to one. Okay, don't look now, but the Nashville Predators, yes, I am leading with Nashville today. The Nashville Predators have won nine of their last 11 games. We talk about teams that are improving in the Western Conference and are chasing wildcard spots. And the Minnesota Wild just had their win streak snapped yesterday by the Vancouver Canucks. The bubble was about to burst uh, at some point. Um, They've played much better. Um, Nashville Predators now are playing a lot better as well. Edmonton, we all know what they're starting to do to teams. See the Carolina Hurricanes a couple of nights ago. But at the end of this game, did you see what Austin Watson did? Oh, I sure did. <laughs> so if you missed it last night, if you weren't watching the uh, the Nashville-Tampa game last night, first of all, great effort by the Nashville Predators. Um, Austin Watson. So let me paint the scenario here. It's 5-1, to one, okay? Game is over. The seconds are counting down. 
Austin Watson has the puck in the neutral zone, and in front of him is Jeremy Lozon, defenseman for the Nashville Predators. And then shades of Stanley Cup Final 2007, playing the role of Daniel Alfredson was Austin Watson, playing the role of Scott Niedermeyer, Jeremy Lozon. Just wastes one at him. Now, some are saying he had his head down, he didn't see Lozon in front of him, he just fired it down the ice, to which I say, normally you only do that, Maddie, when it's a one-goal game and it's a hope shot. Like, this is our last chance, it's the last shot we have, I'm just going to fire it down the ice and, and hope that it somehow gets by the netminder. But instead, it catches Lozon and he goes down. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. And then all the Nashville Predators charge Austin Watson. Now, in his defense, I checked in with someone in Nashville this morning who told me that right after the game, Watson was like beyond apologetic and calling and texting and trying to get in touch with everybody on the Nashville Predators. I think essentially to say, I didn't mean to do that. So if we give him the benefit of the doubt, it's a sloppy play. But if we don't, it's a malicious and really dangerous play. How did you see that one last night? Well, not knowing that information, my first thought was, oh, yeah, there's something brewing there. Like, there's something that happened. Something was said. Like, that, I mean, the timing is just, it's way too perfect for it to be an accident, Jeff. Like, and and in that game where it is 5-1 and it's out of reach and nothing's going to happen, um, it did feel not even mildly malicious. It felt very malicious. Um, it was a great shot. Yeah. I mean, he he dinged him. If, him. if that was his intention, it was a great shot. But I don't. I mean, I don't like that kind of stuff. It's it's already hard enough to play in the NHL and to try and not get hurt because it's a very physical sport. Now you've got to watch out for guys shooting pucks at you. I mean, that's not something that I don't think these guys signed up for. But and we, Austin Watson yeah. is a former member of the Nashville Predators. I, I I can't say for certain how many guys are still around, but there are a few. Um, that he was teammates with when he was there. And, I mean, if he went out of his way to apologize for it, then I can I can give him the benefit of the doubt. But in the moment, I was like, nope, nope, no. He absolutely meant to hurt him. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's part of the game getting hurt, whatever. But I just, I don't like that kind of stuff. Not with a puck. Go fight him. If you got something going on, go fight one. him. Uh, was a weird, and Lozon's a guy that would answer the bell, too. Sure That's why is. I just look at it, and I think it was just more of a reckless and sloppy play to be with you, to, to be honest with you. But... In a five to one game, are you even taking that shot, that hope no. shot at the end? No. Like it's at the twenty minute mark. Like the buzzer's going and he's firing this thing. Anyway, um Pat Kane is a story coming off of last night. I want to get there, Maddie. Also the Los Angeles Kings are a huge story, and that top line continues to be a big story. And Quentin Byfield continues to be a huge story. Like he's become one of the best stories of the season in the NHL. The uh, emergence of 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 Quentin Byfield. And, you know, you go back and you look at that draft and we're saying, wow, look what the Ottawa Senators did as they tiptoed around the landmines and ended up picking Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson. Did they get the two best? All of a sudden, we're seeing a much different Alexi Lafreniere in New York and we're seeing a fantastic hockey player in Los Angeles. Now, is it easier when you're playing with Andre Kopitar? Of course it is. But then you can say with Alexi Lafreniere, is it easier when you play with Artemi Panarin as he is? And the answer is obviously yes. But Byfield looks fantastic. Two goals and an assist yesterday. 
Uh, Kopitar with three points. The Kings went over the Montreal Canadiens four to nothing. And in the process, set a new NHL road wins record to kick off the season. They have now gone 11 straight. Cam Vesna Talbot. Are we calling him that yet, Maddie? Cam Vesna Talbot. Sounds weird, but look at the evidence. Cam Vesna Talbot makes 24 saves in the process. He was excellent yesterday. I wanted to. I wanted to just focus on Byfield and the and the the one goal that he scored. Sure. Where and it's the one that's on all the highlights, but. He not only blows by Caden Gooley, but when Gooley tries to make a play on him, he bounces off of Quinton Byfield. Like, I think that's one of the things that for a bigger player, it's you're a target as a bigger player, and especially as a younger player in the league. Like, guys are going to, they're going to try and take their runs at you, and you're not physically ready for that. And I feel like Quinton Byfield, yeah. part of the thing, he's, he was always a, a, a very good skater. That was never the issue. But I think he's kind of grown into that uh, a man's body, right, where he can now make those kinds of plays and be a little bit more physical and use his size to to be a more impactful player. And I think that that goal that we saw last night was a prime example of that. The speed, the size, the skill, yeah. everything all on point. And he just... I remember conversations about, and, and you guys have talked about this on the show as well, uh, yourself, Elliot, and I know Jonathan Davis mentioned it as well. I remember the talk about, well, Quentin Byfield's not going to be able to play center, but he doesn't look like a winger either. Huh. He looks like a pretty good winger now, doesn't he? And I'm, and I yeah. wonder if that's going to be a full-time thing for him now because he's got that big size cutting off the wing. Like It's something that a lot of guys don't have with that kind of speed, and he's been very impressive. I think he's going to be a winger until Kopitar retires. And I think when Fair. Kopitar retires, then Quinton Byfield slides into that spot and you still have three elite-level centermen going down the middle, and that's going to be the future of the Los Angeles Kings. Um, a couple of things with Byfield. One, um, continues to work with Barb Underhill. I think I mentioned that the other day on the show. And to your point about the skating, uh, it's good and it keeps on improving. The other thing, and I remember Sam... You know, I should ask Sam about this an hour or two. So Cosentino... During his draft year, one of the points that he, that he kept making was he thought that Byfield's stick was too short. Yeah, Stewie and too. We all think of Quentin Byfield, and we and we did. Anthony Stewart say the same as well. Thing? Yeah, so doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah. So he looked like and was a hunched over skater, right? Like he was like over like shoulders over the puck mm -hmm. when he was skating. Now. Uh, whether it's the Underhill work, whether it's, uh, as John Davis reminds us, uh, I think he's got a longer stick now, which is forcing him to be a little bit more upright when he plays. You forget how big this guy is. Like, I remember watching him play York Simcoe Express in the OMHA, and he monster. was just, like, physically bigger and better than yeah. every... And monster, right? And guys, kids bouncing off of him. Like, it was like Lindros. Mm -hmm. like, that's the only thing I could compare it to. Like, the last time I saw kids bouncing off another hockey player was Eric Lindros. And he saw that with Quentin Byfield. And to your point about getting stronger, and he's only going to continue to get stronger. Hands have always been there. A good skater, good power forward moves. And I think that's what you're talking about, Maddie. Yep. And that's why many, and I count myself as one of them, always wondered whether Matt Sundin was miscast as a center and he maybe should have been a winger in his career. That's for a different discussion. But I just love the fact that this player who a lot of people said, ah, bust pick, ah, Kings drafted a dud, uh, Ottawa wins the draft. All of a sudden, Quentin Byfield's reminding everybody that, that was a really good pick and we really need to calm down 
about player developments. And if it doesn't hit right away, we should all maybe just stay in the back seats. Just stay in the back seat on this one. Let the players have a couple of years specifically at the American Hockey League. But the Kings look great again yesterday. Uh, Kopitar, three points. Byfield, two plus one. Talbot with 24 saves. Kings set a new road winning record uh, to kick off the season with 11. Uh, okay, Maple Leafs beat the Ottawa Senators last night, 3-2. to two. They did it in regulation, Maddie. Shocking. The sixth time that they've done that. Stunning. Um, but in the process, they lose their starting netminder. And I always, I always kind of freak out when the injuries don't look obvious, mm-hmm. when it's an innocent play and it's just a goalie going post-to-post or post-to-top-of-the-crease. Um, if Woodley's listening, Kevin Woodley from in goal, and you want to text me what you think the injury may be, because uh, I can't guess at goalie injuries. Uh, I don't know. Is it groin? Did it look that way to you? Because it sure did to me. Just a lazy backhand, like nine minutes left in the third period. And it's always those plays that don't look dangerous, but the goaltender reacts as if he's really hurt. Mm-hmm. That are the bad ones. Oh, yeah. And that one looked like a bad one. And Sheldon keeps saying, yeah, he's going to miss some time here. So it's the Samsonoff Jones show now in Toronto, Maddie. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think the reaction on Sheldon Keefe's face when he saw his goaltender, you know, not be able to stand up and whatever, I thought his reaction kind of said it all. It's like, oh boy, here we go. And yeah. the, the, scary, the scariest injuries in, well, not the scariest, but the ones that are usually the most lengthy are the ones where a guy doesn't get hit. It's the non-contact injuries. Those are the ones that are the scariest because it's yeah. it could be an ACL, it could be an Achilles, it could be, you know, whatever the case, a groin injury like you mentioned. I'm watching this and I see it happen and I'm saying, I cannot even fathom what it could be. Like, I usually try and take a guess on these things because I've certainly watched enough sports and seen, you know, especially when it comes to, like, football and stuff like that, you can kind of see it. But with all the equipment that these guys are yeah. wearing in hockey, especially the goalies, it's really hard to figure yeah. out what happened. So I didn't try and diagnose it last night, but as soon as I saw it and he's like wincing in pain and can't get up on a nothing play, I that, my first thought was, yeah, this is going to be a, a lengthy one. The other one that I thought of too, and I don't think that it's the case, I wonder if he had tweaked something in his lower back. Because that's also one know. of those, we have no idea what it is, but it's one of those weird ones where, you know, you watch and go, I really have... No clue what it is, but a massive loss because Joseph Wall, you know, can we say that he's been arguably the biggest reason why the Toronto Maple Leafs have been able to stay in games this year because they're not scoring at an elite pace. They're not, they're certainly not defending great, but Joseph Wall has been kind of the story there. Uh, He certainly has. And now it's Martin Jones uh, ushered into duty and Ilya Samsonov. As well, and Samsonov's story in the NHL is great athlete, super high potential, but inconsistent. And Maple Leafs fans have seen that. They've seen good Samsonov, and they've also seen Tampa Samsonov. Um, so we'll see where, where this one heads. I don't think the Maple Leafs are going to rush into making a trade, though, right away. Like, right away last night, you see, like, okay, now they got to make a deal um, with the Calgary Flames, and it better be one of the goaltenders involved, and it's got to be Tanev, and they got to be going to the Toronto. Like, pump, 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 pump the brakes on this one. I don't think the Maple Leafs rush out right now and go grab a, a goaltender, regardless uh, of what the nature of the injury is. Right now, uh, you see what you have in Samsonov and Martin Jones. 
uh, because that's why you got those players. Okay, Pat Kane last night. Who? I thought he looked good. <laughs> Pat Kane. Pat Kane. Here we are. It's taking us 16 minutes to talk about what was going to be the, the headline story of the day, but so much happened. Um, I thought he looked really good. Like there was uh, some great moments, certainly early, uh, some great moments where you saw flashes of the old Pat Kane. I know that you know on the on the box car uh, on the box cars it just said bagel bagel bagel, uh, no goals, no assists, no points. But still, like he was creative. Uh, I think he played a little bit more than I thought yeah, me he too. was going to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I thought we were going to look at it and go like, okay, Derek Lalone is really managing the minutes, and that's why he's got. 12 minutes and 13 seconds of ice time in his first game back here. Um, but he played more than I thought. And he was with Valeno and uh, Joe Valeno and Alex DeBrinkett. I thought they were good. But the story coming out of the game, first four-goal comeback of the season in the NHL, San Jose Sharks. This is after their comeback against the New York Islanders where he said, ah, they're dead to rights. Four to one Islanders. Islanders are going to lock this thing down. Nope. And last night, Four goals in five minutes and 28 seconds. And then Michael Granlund with the overtime heroics. San Jose Sharks beat the Detroit Red Wings. Break up the Sharks, Maddie. Break up the Sharks. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I was, I was in and out of the game, and I'm, I'm watching a little bit here and there. I agree, Patrick Kane did look good, and he had those flashes. He was only at good. like just over four minutes after the first period, and ended up playing 16:33 in the game, so way more yep. than I had expected. But it's funny that you say that because I remember. I remember watching the the Stars and Panthers game the other night, and your response was. Oh boy, like look at this Stars Panthers game. And now it's like San Jose Detroit was like, hold my beer here. Eight goals in the second yeah. period. And you're just going. The the thing wild. about those games that gets me, Jeff, especially from someone who yep. places the odd wager, I'm watching this and I'm going like, they're gonna score like 15, 16 total goals in it, especially after the way the second period went. Like the third period, <laughs> this is just barn burner hockey. Yeah. There's mistakes. Like they're gonna and then they score one each in the third. And you're just like, what where the heck did all the offense disappear to? But again, another an, mm-hmm. the San Jose Sharks, for whatever we saw at the beginning of the season, and credit to David Quinn for kind of sticking with this and really he's trying to get the most out of this group. And we know that there's not a, a whole heck of a lot there right now. But they play hard. That's the one thing, especially after those two bad losses back-to-back. They play hard. And the fact that they have these two comeback wins against, you know, maybe maybe not the Islanders as much, although the Islanders are in a playoff spot. But to have it against the Detroit Red Wings, who have been so good for the better part of this season, it's a really impressive road victory. And on a night where Patrick Kane, you know, comes back into the league, very, very impressive win. You know, let me circle back to that Nashville-Tampa game for one sure. moment here to make one point. You know, we we marvel at the skill uh, of NHL players, and it's usually the younger players, right? It's usually, wow, do you see what Adam Fan- like, Look at that, that play oh, man. that Adam what Fantilli a- made yesterday. What a shift. Okay? Like, the, 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 an incredible shift and uh, a beautiful goal. Fantilli with just under 14 minutes of ice time, but was involved in all the offense for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Man, is he ever good. Blue Jackets blew another one. We'll get there in, in a couple of seconds. But we talk about the kid. Oh, did you see what Leo Carlson did? Oh, did you see that Connor Bedard play? Did you see what Jack Hughes did against Seattle? Like, there's a lot of discussion about the kids in the NHL and what they're able to do. I think maybe the coolest play that I've seen all season 
happened last night from a vet. Okay. And it's not a vet that you think about when you think about goal scoring mm-hmm. or you think about incredible plays. This is a player that we think about defending and blocking shots and loved by teammates and irreplaceable. And how did this team let him go? How did that team let him go? Did you see what Ryan McDonough did last night? I did not see, but I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about Ryan McDonough and it's and and his game last incru- night. It's incredible. Check out Ryan McDonough's goal. Oh, the no backhand. joke, Maddie. The backhand. It's a backhand. No, a backhand one-timer. Yeah. It takes a lot of strength to score from a that distance. I'm watching it right now. It's it's quite impressive. Is uh, that ridiculous? As uh, Alex Alex Dockerty tweets, uh, McDonough scores his first goal of the season on an impressive backhander from the circle, looking like Sidney Crosby out there. <laughs> No, but it's not just even a backhander. It's a one-time on his backhand. It's very impressive. And to do it and against your former shot. team. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It had some it had some velocity on it, cool. Jeff. Totally had bite. Totally had bite. Um, okay, you mentioned Columbus. Uh, they're in a tough way. It, it just feels like we're beating up on Columbus whenever we mention Columbus, but I mean it's been uh, it's been bad. Like there's no way to sugarcoat it. Fantilli's been amazing. Fantilli's been tremendous. Uh, but it seems like that's the only bright spot, really, with the with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, four points from Matthew Barzell, three points from Bo Horvat, two goals, one assist. Uh, they scored 20 seconds apart, uh, those two. Um, they come from behind. They beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 7-3. to three. Blue Jackets, at one point, led 3-1. to one, uh, And then the collapse happened. But again, if you're a Blue Jackets fan, there is one shining light and that is Adam Fantilli. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The interesting thing about this situation is normally, I remember Brian Burke talked about this when he took over Anaheim, and I believe the analogy he used was, you know, we couldn't have Getzlaff and Perry in the lineup as rookies because it was a bad place and the room was negative and everything around the team was negative. And so I, I, I had to send them to the minors until we sorted out the room and sorted out the situation. And the analogy he used was, you have to shovel out the barn before you can show the horse. That's Berkey, uh, who goes into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame this week. Congratulations, Berkey. That looked great on him. Um, and I, I look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I say, most times you would say, the Jackets need to get Adam Fantilli away from this. Like, it's too negative. There's too much losing. Um, there's a dark cloud over the organization right now. Uh, pretty much at every level, there's mm-hmm. question marks about, you know, what the future of everybody at every single level is going to be. At what time, at what point does, you know, ownership start to pull the trigger? Uh, what does Pascal Vincent think he's doing with the kids and their low minutes? Like he can't actually be thinking about wins and losses right now. This is now all exclusively a development year for kids on that team. Normally you would say get Fantilli away. Get Fantilli out of this situation, you know, down to the uh, down to the American Hockey League, and come back when the room is ready for you. I just think that Fantilli is so mentally tough that if there's anyone from any draft class that can walk into as bad a situation as Columbus is and not be harmed negatively by it, it's Adam Fantilli. Mm-hmm. And Do you not get that sense that Fantilli has just tuned out all the negative around him? Because every game that he plays, 
Every game, every time you watch Columbus, Fantilli is going to do something. He's not going to get a lot of ice time, but with whatever ice time he gets, he's going to do something. And last night, it was spectacular. Yeah. Albeit the team lost 7-3. Yeah, sh- still. shout out Nobleton, Ontario, because it's a wonderful place. And that's where Adam Fantilli's from. <laughs> I um, wait, wait <laughs> um, for that one. But, but, I, but Jeff, I wanted to actually, I'm glad you brought up Fantilli because... When you watch that play, like the all-encompassing, where he makes the play out of the zone, where he he, he goes yeah. around the defenseman, the pass for me, the between-the-legs pass is incredible. I can't imagine that a lot of people, and this goes with a lot of young players because this speaks to not only the skill set but what they are capable of doing in a game at that pace. There are a lot of people that probably look at that pass and go, that's a hot dog pass. But the thing is, Jeff, is in that moment, it's the right pass to make. And these guys have that skill to do that. And there are a lot of old school people out there that think, well, he's just being a hot dog and he's a young player or whatever. In that moment where you watch the stick placement of the defenseman and you watch where his guys are coming from, that between the legs pass, which ends Mm -hmm. up setting up a goal for him, is the right play to make. You talk about the skill of of Ryan McDonough on the backhand. That's uber skill from Adam Fantilli. And, you know, in any other moment in a game, you'd go, well... Did he really need to do that? No, he actually needed to do that in order to advance the play. And it was really impressive. And then the finish is is also great. But that play to start it off, boy, oh, boy, that's special. The Wierenski pass to him is pretty sweet, too. Yeah, Michigan it was. Michigan. Yeah, that's a, it was. That's a really, really sweet pass. Uh, okay, a couple of things. Got a couple of minutes here. I want to fly through a few. New Jersey over Seattle, 2-1. to one. The Kraken lose, comma, again. Uh, Simon Nemich, by the way, with his first career NHL goal. Congratulations to the New Jersey Blue Liner. Seattle Kraken have now lost six games in a row. Mm-hmm. I wonder if what we saw last year was just a mirage or, as people have mentioned, just a shooting percentage bender. Yeah. Like, that's what that was, and this is the Seattle Kraken. Or, and Jeff, bad news, again, or, again, if you're Seattle, bad news, first game back for Andre Burakovsky in 20. Yeah. Um, left in the second period, came back two shifts, and then sat the rest of the game, not looking good for Burakovsky. Sorry, you were going to say. I was going to say, or it's the Daniel Sprong effect. He's not there anymore, Jeff. So how could they? Hey, how man. could they possibly continue? Exactly. But exactly. no, but but exactly. But you talk about not only the the shooting percentage bender that they were on last year, which was something of legend. But we talked about this. Is there something to be said in today's game about having consistent success without elite top end? talent consistent elite top end talent because mm-hmm. i think we all like jared mccann and he can score goals and we like maddie Beniers in that future but they're not there they are not among the elite players in the game uh, among the top 20 top 25 top 30 players in the game like do you need that in order to have sustained success and i, I think that that is absolutely part of the conversation you know, it, it's interesting. Um, Elliot believes that very quietly Ron Francis is working on something big. Or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misphrasing Elliot. Um, he wouldn't be surprised if Ron Francis was working on something big. Mm-hmm. And it would have to involve a scorer. Yep. Because this team can't score. This team is having such a hard... Like, we've talked about how how frustrating it is when you're a team that has to grind for every goal. Yeah. And how much of a luxury it is if you just have someone, this was always the bonus of Phil Kessel, wherever he was, someone that could just skate down the wing and snap in two. What do you call that, Jeff? The easy goal? (laughs) Easy goals, man. (laughs) 
He needs someone that can score easy goals, right? Yep. I'm just going to come down the wing and shoot at the net. He's going to go over the shoulder, man. Goalie's not going to stop that. Um, you need guys that can do that. It takes all the pressure off. But if you're Seattle right now, that's where your goaltenders have to be great. And if they let in a bad one, you say to yourself, man, you know how hard it is. You know how hard we have to work to score. Scoring's hard enough. We can't let our have our goaltenders letting in letting in bad goals like this. Yeah. Um, every player will tell you that. And that's where Seattle is right now. They need someone to score. Don't be surprised if they're working on something big. We'll see where that goes. Minus twenty three uh, goal differential, Jeff, by the way. Minus twenty three. Eh? Yeah, that's not gonna cut yeah. it. Especially with the way I'm, the Pacific is going I'm, right uh, now. I'm new to hockey. Is that bad? That would be bad. Vancouver 2-0 over Minnesota. Um, the wild four-game undefeated streak is over. Um, Pedersen and Quinn Miller off the score sheet. Casey DeSmith. Win. This is interesting. Trevor Beggs tweeted this out yesterday. This It sounded so wrong, but I guess it's right. Casey DeSmith with the shadow yesterday, okay? Mm-hmm. First Vancouver backup goaltender to record a shutout in six years. No way. Anders Nilsson. Anders, I know, right? Anders Nilsson was the last one, October wow. 24th, 2017. Who was it against, Maddie? Uh, oh, it has to be the Minnesota Wild, just because. It's against the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> Speaking of that, that game, did, but you know, I, I saw yeah. this. I saw this on Instagram, um, and it was the, Pat Maroon warming up right on the red line, right in front of JT Miller, and he for just sure. stands there and for he's sticking. Sure. I'll tell you my biggest takeaway from that, and for all the people that think that you, because for a lot of people, Patrick Maroon may be for them. Not that I agree with this take. Maybe the worst player in the NHL for them. Okay, watch Patrick Maroon stick handle at the red line during the warm up for all the people that think that they're better. And tell me if you can do that, because I can guarantee you that you absolutely can't. So stop thinking that you're better than Pat Maroon. By the way, I love Pat Maroon. I think that he is perfect for the game of hockey. (laughs) I think he is everything that you would want in a player on your team uh, for a bottom end guy on your roster. I think he is absolutely wonderful and I love it. Uh, I, I do like the uh, the center ice stare down. I always enjoy that one. I always love when players get right to the line, uh, and it's not because, hey, it's three brothers and let's get a picture, as the, the Hugheses did in Vancouver the other day. You know, Kelly Rudy tells stories of when he was playing in the Western Hockey League with Madison Hat, and that Tigers team was really young, and Kelly was a young goaltender, and the, the stories of the new Westminster Bruins, specifically Boris Fistrick, now, I don't know if you remember Mark Fistrick, but that's his dad. Yep. So Mark played mm-hmm. in, the, in the NHL, was a, was a defensive. Boris, the late Boris, he's no longer with us, um, was one of the toughest players in the league. And that new Westminster Bruins team was a combination. Like They're like the Broad Street bullies of the, uh, of, of the Western Hockey League. It was this marriage of toughness, um, a very intense, some would say crazy, coach in Ernie McLean, and high-end skill. And that's one of the things I think we forget about uh, the new Westminster Bruins. Um, they had a lot of high-end skill. But they were also tough, and they would intimidate in the warm-up. And, of course, there's no officials on the ice for warm-up. And Kelly would say, you know, tell us, like, sometimes Boris Fistrick would skate to the Medicine Hat Tigers' end of the ice and take the net <laughs> and drag it, to, drag it to center ice and stand there and essentially say, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. 
and also members of New West during shoot-around would skate to the medicine hat net and take shots at the goal. Oh, my. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so war. good. Uh, if you want a treat, look up uh, look up Boris Fistrick's uh, uh, WHL numbers with New West Spencer. Uh, 414 minutes his first year, 460 minutes his second. And then uh, yeah. in... 33 games the following year with New Westminster and Brandon. He had 100 and, uh, 263 minutes, 33 games. So there you go. Tough customer. That was a tough team. That was a rough, rough team. Uh, Vancouver 2-0 over Minnesota. Buffalo knocks off the Boston Bruins and the return of Devin Levi. 29 saves in that one. Um, John uh, Charlie McAvoy hit by J.J. Paterka, by the way. He's out. We'll find out hopefully more information today uh, on what's up with him. The Flames come back and beat the Carolina Hurricanes. Rod Brindamore, not amused. Not amused talking about how there are some players on this team not pulling their weight. Not amused, Rod Brindamore. Um, the Flyers continue to have a really nice season. They beat the Arizona Coyotes 4-1. to Travis Konechny uh, finding the back of the net again, and the Coyotes' five-game winning streak is now over. And the Jets... Doubling up the Colorado Avalanche, 4-2. to Kyle Connor with a pair. Hullabuck with uh, 32 saves. Uh, Nathan McKinnon continues his point streak now at 10 games. Um, that's some of what happened last night. Um, we're going to hit pause. Sam Cosentino in hour two. Elliot Friedman stops by as well. In the meantime, we'll talk to Mike Comito, uh, wonderful author, wonderful historian, about his new offering, Leafs 365 Daily Stories, from the ice, this is part of his Hockey 365 store uh, uh, book series. So I wonder if we're getting 31 more of these. Nice little franchise you're setting up, Mikey. Uh, Mike Camito from Sudbury joins me next on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And I do appreciate everybody tweeting at me saying, enough of the hockey talk, just announce Otani already. Oh, trust me. If Otani happens, I'm not going to be here. We'll get the baseball crew in. Thank you very much. And listen, uh, a lot of momentum gathering right now. John Morosi um, talking about how, you know, it's gathering momentum. Uh, going back to the uh, the visit to Dunedin on Monday. We shall see. We're tracking planes. We're tracking restaurant reservations. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, if the Otani news happens, uh, say goodbye to your boy, Jeff. I'll talk to you on Monday. Uh, I think Blake Murphy's coming in, and we go into 24-7 Otani programming. But in the meantime, uh, some more hockey talk here. But again, when if slash when the Otani news breaks, uh, we will give way, and we'll be around the clock with uh, Shohei Otani talk. Um, across the Sportsnet Radio Network and across the entire country. Uh, okay, Mike Camito joins me uh, from Sudbury. Mike is a fine author and a fine historian as well. Uh, his first offering, Hockey 365, Daily Stories from the Ice, is must-have uh, for every hockey fan. On this day in 87, Ron Hextall scores. This may come up in our conversation. His latest offering, and I'm wondering if this is going to be you know, all 32 teams that he does this for. It would be great if he could. 
Um, might be tough with a couple of expansion teams, but we'll see. Uh, the latest is called Leafs 365, Daily Stories from the Ice. The one and only Mike Camuto, finally, because we've been trying to get him on for a while now. Uh, as in, now the schedules can collide and actually sync up. Mike Camuto joins me now. Mike, how are you, pal? Doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. First of all, first question, let me just get this out of the way. I love this little cottage industry that you've set up here with the 365. Is this going to be a, are we going to get, you know, 32, well, 31 more now, 32 books? Are we going to have Capitals 365 and uh, Hurricanes 365 and Kings 365? Are we going to have that? I think I'm going to have to quit my day job if uh, if I do that. I mean, and certainly I think, you know, to your point earlier, it'd be a, a bit of a challenge with some of the newer teams. But I think if you just schedule those last, by the time I get to the Golden Knights and the mm. Kraken, you know, we'll have had 20, 30 years between those books. And then we'll be we'll be ready to go for those ones. If you could get defunct teams, if you can get Rockies, if you could get scouts like now, Seals like now, yeah. that would really, really. Charlie Finley had a haircut today on this day in uh, 1972, October the 12th. Anyhow, um, Maple Leafs 365. Before I get to some of the stories in here, why do you think this brand endures? so much in the hockey marketplace like it's not just toronto and i know people listening right now in calgary and vancouver halifax wherever right now across the sportsnet radio network may be vomiting when i say this but this brand is the strongest hockey brand in canada why is it still i think it goes back to you know the legacy of like the early beginnings of the nhl you know obviously i I know how you feel about the term original six uh and we can obviously get into that as well but i think certainly when you think back to the early years in the league, you know, across the country, uh, you know, there was only two Canadian teams, you know, up until 1970 expansion. So you've got either the the Habs and the Leafs. And I think for a lot of, you know, Canadians in small towns, especially small towns and areas where I'm from here in northern Ontario, like you had a lot of guys that that played great hockey and they ended up going and playing, you know, for the Leafs. So a lot of them went to play for other teams as well. So you see even in like towns like Sudbury, mm-hmm. you've got pockets of people who are Bruins fans or Blackhawks fans because they had guys come through the ranks that played for those teams. But I think I think certainly when you go back until we had more, you know, Canadian teams come into the league, uh, you, you just had those holdouts. Right? And I think if you were obviously French Canadian, you gravitated towards the Habs, not necessarily always, but I think certainly by virtue of the fact that that's how the league was organized, that you're either cheering for this team or that team. And those teams have uh, obviously endured, uh, you know, since the league's uh, foundation in 1917. Let me, let me get into a couple of stories here and uh, I'll try to personalize this one as much as my, as much as I can. July 11th, 1980. Okay, these are some of the stories that uh, that's in in Mike's book, Leafs 365. So every day, it's a different story about a uh, Toronto Maple Leaf, um, a Toronto Maple Leaf coach, manager, whatever. Um, really cool stuff. July 11th, Daryl Sittler meets Terry Fox. 1980. Now. I live in Stovall, Ontario, and at Stovall Arena, where the Stovall Spirit play, there's a huge framed picture of Daryl Sittler and Terry Fox at City Hall. So I, I think about this moment that you write about all the time, Mike. Share some of the details. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big admirer of Terry Fox. Obviously, like many Canadians, I think what he did, you know, in the fight against, uh, you know, raising awareness about cancer and cancer research, um, obviously one of the greatest Canadians that ever lived. Uh, so I had actually been sneaking Terry Fox into Hockey 365 since the second one 
in the second period, you know, I have the the moment where he meets with Bobby Orr, which is there's an, obviously an iconic photo of of the two of them comparing, yeah. you know, injuries. I think Fox obviously had a more severe one than Orr, but uh, but nevertheless, it's this endearing moment of the two of them meeting uh, at Orr's hometown in Perry Sound. And so when it came time to do Leafs 365, I said. I knew I always knew about the meeting at Nathan Phillips Square and, you know, Sittler presenting Fox with the All-Star jersey, which is obviously a great moment. But what I didn't know going into the research for that story was that, you know, after, you know, Fox, you know, had to unfortunately stop the run, you know, Sittler had reached out and offered to have, you know, him and the team complete the rest of the leg for him. And, you know, Fox, I think, knew that mm. this was something that only he could do that, you know, as much as the Marathon of Hope was a collective, you know, project. And I think a lot of many Canadians and many people around the world rallied behind it. I think Fox knew that if it was going to be, you know, completed, uh, you know, in, in all earnesty that it had to be done by him. And so I think just being able to, you know, to talk about that, I think, uh, you know, when I get up every morning, you know, try to get a, a workout in when I can, I've got this poster above my treadmill at home and it's, it's a Terry Fox poster. And it's the, the, the words are today we got up at 4am as usual, it was tough. And so I always just, I think that's always such a great reminder of that whenever I'm on a run and you want to quit, you want to bail out early. It's just like, I think of what he did every day, uh, running a marathon every day on yep. one leg is just incredible. So, I mean, I'll, I'll squeeze him into any story I can, whether it's hockey or otherwise. I'm with you. I can still recall, you know, years and, and years ago, well, 1980 specifically, I would have been 11 years old um, at the at the Duncan's house in, in Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. Kirstie's now an MP uh, and has been for, for a long time watching the Marathon of Hope and the, and the telethon and, and trying to raise money. Personally, I think he's Canada's greatest athlete of all time. Agree, disagree. I agree. I agree. Like to, to do what he did, uh, the endurance of that, a marathon a day on, on one leg is is in, incredible. Still is. Oh, okay. Other Maple Leaf stories. Can you personalize one? Is there anyone that's uh, that you have sort of either you had a front row seat to or anything you have from a, from personal experience? Yeah, I mean, well, there's one I think just like didn't didn't necessarily have a front row seat, but I think a lot of Leaf fans can I think can put themselves in my shoes and kind of you know you know, kind of empathize where they were and maybe they felt the same way. But obviously it's it's not a great moment in team history, but I think of the collapse to the Bruins, you know, in, in 2013. And, you know, going into that third period, you know, the Leafs are up 4-1. We know how the story ends. But while I'm watching this game, before I see the signs of the wheels coming off, I'm drafting an email to my uncle saying, I can't believe the Leafs are getting in the second round. This is incredible. Like, you know, can't wait to see what they're, <laughs> they're going to get and like what, what how this next series is going to go because we've been waiting for a... Uh, a series victory for you know a number of years at that point and there was just this little part of me that said you know what maybe I shouldn't send this email just yet so I saved it as a draft and I put my phone back in my pocket and then obviously the meltdown happens mm. it's it gets completed in, in overtime and I fish my phone in my pocket and I just delete that email to my uncle I never sent it because there was obviously no point but I feel like a lot of Leaf fans, you know, went through those motions where they were either calling people, texting people, you know, maybe getting a little uh, too excited too early. Um, but there was always that little part of me that knew as a lifelong fan that it's not over till it's over. Uh, and unfortunately, I was right. Uh, but it was a little bit cathartic writing that moment because I've written that story before, you know, just from the perspective of like from how the game actually progressed. But to actually go through the emotions again, uh, I, I think it helps, you know, especially with the 10 year anniversary just passing. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before you came on, uh, December 8th, 87, uh, Ron Hextall scores. So on this day in 1987, which as an aside, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I, I still maintain that 1987 was the best year in the history of hockey, 
period, so many great things, whether it was Canada Cup, um, whether it was, well, Ron Haxtell scoring a goal, whether it was the Easter epic with uh, Rudy and Mason staring each other down in that great series, Washington and the Islanders, whether it was one of the best, maybe the best Stanley Cup final of all time uh, in the Philadelphia Flyers and the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know that I've ever heard a rink as loud as the uh, the Spectrum when J.J. Daniel scored in overtime in Game 6 to force a Game 7, but that's an aside. So on this day in 87, as you write in Hockey 365, Ron Hextall scores against the Boston Bruins, um, and that brings us to the opposite, which is Vesa Toskala and Rob Davison. Yeah, so that one would have been in uh, in March uh, in March of twenty or two thousand and eight, um, and I think a lot of Leaf fans can probably picture this gaff in their head again. It's a, a huge bomb, pretty much from I think like way back, almost near center ice, and it just it goes by him, goes through wickets, and goes into the nets. Uh, so like they always, we always kind of think of like Toscula's tenure with the Leafs, and like those types of moments come to mind. But I think in kind of writing that story, obviously I remember you know living through it and, and watching that. But you go back, and then you, you, you that gaff is always front and center. But then you realize that like he shut the door for the rest of the game, right? He still made 27 saves that game. The Leafs scored three and three unanswered goals after Davison's goal. So I mean, he ended up winning the game, and he played he played rather well despite that unfortunate goal, you know, to to start the game off. Uh, and I think the other interesting thing was. Davison was teammates with Toscala when they were together in San Jose. So, I mean, if he were to find yeah. the lighter side in that moment, it's at least that a former buddy of his got that goal by him. So, um, you know, certainly I think that's a, a fun one and kind of some of the stories that you'd find in the book from the good, the bad, and, and the ugly at times. J- j- just as a, as, a, as a quick aside, I've always wondered why more players don't use that as a tactic or a strategy, bouncing pucks in front of goaltenders. We see dump-ins, obviously, all the time, rim rounds, but goalies have no idea what's going to happen when that thing bounces in front of them. Like, I know in this situation, it's a 195-footer. Okay, I, I, I get that. Like, you're not going to use that, but, I mean, J.C. Tremblay would flip pucks. Uh, Jim Dory's nickname was Flipper. Uh, for flipping pucks. Uh, we've seen Kopitar and Doughty uh, do it before. Like, have you ever wondered why more players don't deliberately do that? Just like lob rainbows that land right in front of the goaltender, just in case, Mike, just in case. Yeah, and I mean, and you've seen in, in other rinks, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily as much today, but there were rinks that were regarded as like that was the rink that you did that in because the bounces off the boards were always just so chaotic that players even had, you know, they knew their spots where they could kind of rim that puck in or, you know, put it into the corner knowing that it might come back out and fool the goaltender. So, I mean, uh, that's definitely a move that I like to do in hockey just because I'm usually not hitting the net anyway, so I might as well try to take every advantage I can get. And, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm within uh, striking distance, I'm firing it, and if it hits the boards, that it makes it another opportunity you know for me or somebody else to, to clean up the trash okay real quick before i let you go i've got like a 30 to 60 seconds here what is your favorite i want to give you a chance to talk about your hometown here uh what's your favorite toronto maple leaf sudbury connection uh well i mean i'll get a lot of people probably you know that i could take i could take eddie shack i could take george armstrong i could take felino um, I mean, I think certainly, you know, Mike Felino, he has got a couple stories in the book. Um, the Felino family does a lot of great work in the community. They still have roots here. So, I mean, I think I, there's yeah. a couple stories featuring Mike, you know, during his time with the team. And then I couldn't help but include, you know, Nick's brief tenure with the team. I just loved when, you know, Nick came out for his introductory press conference and he was wearing, you know, that old lid that his dad so had, you know, back in the day. Not the helmet, yeah. of course, that would have been even better, but uh, but he still had that that hat that I think a lot of us <laughs> had at the time. So. Yeah, 
It's uh, listen. There's there's great stories in this. Like uh, hockey, three sixty five is must have for everyone. And listen, if you're a Leafs fan, or even I, just a hockey history fan, and want to relive, as you uh, mentioned, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Toronto Maple Leafs, three sixty five daily stories from the ice. Uh, my guest has been Mike Camito. Mike, thanks as always for stopping by. Good luck with this one. Uh, it's book selling season. Christmas is on the horizon. Let's get some of these under some trees. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. The great uh, Mike Camito, wonderful uh, broadcaster, wonderful writer, and wonderful hockey historian. Uh, With that, we bring aboard Matt Marchese one more time because it's time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. And on Fridays, we like to pick a game from Hockey Night in Canada. What is interesting you tomorrow? Hurricanes at Canucks. The puck line is Canucks minus one and a half. Oh, man. Yeah. Yep, I'm going there. Uh, The Hurricanes have hit the over first period total in 28 of their last 46 away games. The Canucks have hit the over first period total in 54 of their last 82 games. The under has hit in four of the last six games between these two teams. The Hurricanes have not covered the puck line in eight of their last 10 away games. And the Canucks have won 12 of the last 14 games against the Hurricanes in Vancouver. Hurricanes are limping into this one, right? I mean, they absolutely got destroyed by the Oilers early this week. Um, the Calgary Flames with a big comeback against them on Thursday night. Uh, Carolina up 2 nothing, and then the wheels fall off the wagon. Dustin Wolf, by the way, was excellent in that game last night. Um, and Rod Brindamore twice now has ripped his team. You know, the first game against the Oilers, uh, talking to Darren Pang, he says, it feels like we're going to lose 50 to nothing. And then last night after the game, he talks about players not pulling their weights. I know in Vancouver, a lot has been made about the situation between Rick Tockett and Andre Kuzmenko and what Tockett expects out of him. And that has become very public. As of right now, Rod Brindamore hasn't named any players specifically. He's treated it as a general gloss. But I wonder if we're getting close to the uh, part of the story where Rod Brendamore starts to sit down certain players who he feels are not, quote, pulling their weight. We'll see as Carolina clashes with the Vancouver Canucks on Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. All right, taking a break. Uh, Sam Cosentino joins me here at the top of the hour and then followed by Elliot Friedman, who joins us a little bit late on this Friday. Back in a moment across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and yes, we're still on Otani Watch. Relax. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. My next guest does studio. My next guest does booth. My next guest does NHL. My next guest does draft as well. He's the one and only Sam Cosentino from the NHL on Sportsnet, our lead draft analyst. Uh, Bon Vivant, man about town, has good recommendations from all things from restaurants to steak knives. He is the one and only Sam Cosentino. He joins me now. Hey, Sammy. Hi, Jeffy. Nice to hear from you. How you doing? 
Uh, I'm good, pal. Um, you know, you're one of the more remarkable people that I know. Like, there is a handful of people I think that everybody know where knows where if you have a question about anything, where to get a good meal, where to shop for whatever, um, how to fold the blankets, uh, they have, like, one go-to person. That's like the, the Swiss Army knife for, for how to get through a day. You're one of my guys, Sammy. You know you have this reputation, right? Nice, Jeffy. I appreciate that. Well, you know, my boiler precedes me for sure when it comes to the restaurant uh, situation. There's no question about that. <laughs> uh, you give, yeah. You listen. You're uh, you're you're really knowledgeable about a lot of things, and, and I want to get to uh, I want to get the prospects here in a couple of seconds. But I want to park a lot of time talking about the NHL with you as well, and World Junior rosters, World Junior snubs, World Junior expectations. But let me start off by asking you about Adam Fantilli. And we know this is a tough season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, they're doing a whole lot of losing. And last night was another special one. Squander another lead, uh, and they get run over again. But the bright spot in all of it was Adam Fantilli. Didn't even play 14 minutes, but uh, was involved in all the offense, uh, was involved in one of the most brilliant goals. And it wasn't even just the goal. It was the play that led up to it uh, that we've seen all season long. You know, Sammy, one of the points that I've been making is in a lot of situations, you'd want to get your young future superstar out of this environment, go to the American Hockey League, get him somewhere else so he doesn't have to be on this team that has such a cloud over it. Normally, I would agree with that, except for Adam Fantilli, who seems to really have his head on his shoulders. And I don't want to say that he's oblivious to everything that's around him, but it doesn't seem as if all the negativity around the Blue Jackets is bothering Fantilli, Sam, at all. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, he's such a grounded uh, guy. I mean, and that starts, I think, with the family and the upbringing. And, you know, when we spoke to him at the Combine last year and at the draft, he spoke very highly of his grandmother and they got a very emotional. And I think what tells the story about him is if you look at the inside of his jacket uh, that he wore at the draft, yeah. it had the names of all the people that helped him along the way. So, so that's really telling for me about what type of person he is. Now getting to the point where you're talking about, is it something that he's going to be, um, you know, is it a sustainable thing for him moving forward to stay with Columbus? So, or to, you know, essentially take the month off and, and go and play at the world juniors. That, that is a really difficult decision, but I, the way I look at Adam is he had his gold medal moment last year. He, he rose all the way up from being essentially the, you know, lower in the line to being a, a top guy who was counted on by the end of the tournament last year. And so I think he's kind of been there and done that. I, I think he's, he's an NHLer. You know, it's like Connor Bernard. He's not even listed oh, yeah. on any of the sheets or whatever. I think he's that type of guy. Yeah, no, I, I think that, listen, Fantilli's had his uh, his gold medal moment with uh, with Team Canada. I think this is legitimate NHL territory. I, I just, you know, I, the only point that I was trying to make, Sam, is normally in these situations, Columbus is such a... It's such a bad spot right now. Like, I'll just be on, like, questions at every single level, questions about the coach and the manager and the team president and the future of the organization. Normally, you'd say, you know, we have this gem in Adam Fantilli. We kind of need to keep this away. But I just get the sense that none of this is really hurting his development at all. You know, whether he gets, you know, every now and then he only gets a handful of minutes, but he makes the most out of it. Like, essentially the point that I was trying to make is nothing seems to bother this kid. 
Like the the first time that I saw him play was when he was in the GTHL with the Red Wings, and yeah. he almost single handedly. You were there. You and RJ called it almost single handedly took apart the Don Mills Flyers, who at that point were the juggernaut team: Shane Wright, Brennan Othman, Brant Clark, etc. Like no one's touching that team except for Adam Fantilli. He just seems like he is so laser focused. Sam, do you have a do you have a thought on sort of you know the the phenomenon of not being troubled with with chaos all around him? Because that's kind of where Adam Fantilli finds himself in with the Columbus Blue Jackets. No kidding. And imagine like how challenging that would be. And and you know if you think about it, and the stuff that Connor Bedard has had to go through. Uh, oh yeah. You know, basically the same age. It's crazy to think that these guys are young men that have had to grow up really, really quickly in their respective environments. But for Adam, uh, I'm, I'm so impressed by, you know, whether he's playing 10 minutes or whether he's watching someone get benched around them or, you know, like you say, a team that looked like he was going to turn the corner with some off-season veteran additions in the back end has really just kind of gone back to where it's been for years, and that's in the middle of the pack. So, you know, at some point, the, yeah. it's a quagmire that this franchise has to get out of, and I, they better hope that Adam Fantilli is along for the ride if and when they do get out of it. Yeah. Um, Leo Carlson, let me get your thoughts on the Anaheim Ducks, you know, uh, future stud here, although he looks great right now. Um, I know fans don't like load management is the hot term uh, or taking games off or, you know, managing how many games someone plays. But the Anaheim Ducks had a very, very specific model. Uh, for Leo Carlson, how they were going to introduce him to the team and the NHL and the minutes and ramping everything up, starting slowly and gradually getting more and more and more. Uh, do you have a thought on Carlson, and do you have a thought specifically on the way that they're handling the rookie? I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but, you know, Pat Verbeek uh, claimed that he lived in that situation, so his claim is that I know what that's like. I know um, the rigors of the travel and the rigors of what the NHL schedule can do to somebody. So I'm going to try and take that piece out of his hands so that when he does play, he's given it everything he has on the nights that he's in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like it's, it's kind of hard to argue with the results that he's getting. This, this guy's a star job. Like you watch some of the moves yep. he makes, how he plays, how he goes about his business. Uh, and again, like, how lucky are we to think about Fantilli, Carlson, and Bedard, each doing their things, each having their own kind of respective adversities, but each really succeeding and, and shining through the, some of the negativity that's around them. Like, uh, that's, a, that's exceptional for those three guys to do what they've done to this point. And, and Leo Carlson is no different. Yeah. I, I'm so impressed by him. And, you know, Jeff, like even last year when it, when it came out of, about the, the stuttering issue he had and how open he was in talking about it and and working hard to, you know, to eradicate it as best he could. Like, this is a 30-year-old guy or what is he? You know, he's not an 18-year-old kid. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, he, he's he's already mature beyond his years. They have a, they have another great one there. Like, I mean, listen, you know the Anaheim Ducks and how well they've drafted and how well they've developed. And you know, one of the best pieces of the future isn't even there, even even there yet in Olin Zellweger. Like, I was, I was mentioning this on on Twitter the other day. Like, Anaheim 
Anaheim isn't there yet. Like that streak that we saw at the beginning of the season, like that was fool's gold, but it was a lot of fun. And we all went along with the ride. And in the process, we saw a lot of, you know, a lot of what the future is going to be like, whether it's Carlson, whether it's McTavish, um, you know, whether it's any number of the uh, of the young stud defensemen uh, that the team boasts. It's like, you know, every every two games, there's a new former CHL defenseman of the year joining the lineup. Um, but that's going to be a flat-out fun team to watch one year. Like, when it finally clicks, Sam, like, is that the team that you look at? Because you deal with these guys a lot, and the younger players in the draft. Is that the team you look at and you say, man, when all of this comes together and Minchikov hits and Zellweger is there and Mason McTavish is the captain and we'll see about Zegras but here's Leo Carlson as well like is that the team that you look at and say that's just going to be a flat out fun team to watch oh yeah for sure I mean Minchikov already has done some amazing things in his time here he gets Terry long term now on McTavish I've always thought highly of him going back to the you know the 20 uh the 2020 under 18s in in Texas there where he was such a a pivotal part for Canada's uh, gold medal win there but I, Patrick Beek, I mean, obviously he worked with Steve Eiserman for a long time. They know each other well. I'm sure they bounce things off each other. And the idea was to bring in, you know, your Stroms or your Vitranos or keep Henrik around and your Cam Fowlers to bring these young guys along. And I think that's a wise move. I mean, obviously Detroit is a little further along than that with maybe some higher-end veterans that they've, that they've brought in to, to speed up their process. But Anaheim's taking the slow road, and I think it's the right way to go. Uh, you mentioned the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, you're going to be on the call, Ottawa Senators, Detroit Red Wings. Uh, what did you make of Patrick Kane last night? Like, nothing to show for it. Um, you know, just over 13 minutes of ice time, and there's, you know, no goals, no assists, no points, but a lot of flashes of the quote-unquote old Patrick Kane. And by that, I mean two years ago. Your thoughts on Kane? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about him. I think by game three, you're going to start to see the guy that, that we saw a lot of last year. I was saying this in the show last night, Jeff. Like I was in Jersey for game one of the Rangers-Devils uh, playoff round. And that first game, Rangers won 5-1. He had a couple points in, in that game. I yeah. saw him afterwards. He could barely walk. Like, I, I, like how are you doing this? What? And he just persevered. And so to think that even if he's not going to be – the old Patrick Kane, 80% of the old Patrick Kane is still going to be a guy who's going to produce right around a point per game. It's going to make the brink it better. It's going to bring the Red Wings some swagger, some veteran experience, a guy who's won. There's so many positives to the addition of him to the lineup, and you just hope that the, the surgery and his recovery are, are, you know, are, are going to keep pushing forward as they have in a very positive manner and on a timeline that uh, has exceeded all expectations. You know, this Detroit Red Wings team is interesting. Uh, coming back from Sweden, they really just started to rip into teams. Um, and uh, a little bit of a setback yesterday against the San Jose Sharks. I mean, that was quite a story. Four-goal comeback or four-goal collapse, uh, depending on how you uh, how you look at it. Um, but we've seen a whole lot of different versions of the Detroit Red Wings so far this season. Like, things didn't go well for them in Sweden. We know that. Things didn't go well last night, hanging on to a lead, not their strong suit last night. But we've seen the Detroit Red Wings pull off some pretty impressive things so far this season. I think that Derek Lalone is one of the more impressive coaches around the NHL. Where do you, like, of all the different versions of the Detroit Red Wings that we've seen so far this season, Sam, which one is the real one? The real one is the playoff team. It's probably the, the third team in the, in the division. 
And it's a team that, when it gets there, I think can do some damage because of the experience. Like, you know, JT Comfort doesn't get anywhere near the recognition he deserves. He's he's really a yep. really really good player. And then you think at Lucas Raymond, he's kind of doing what he's been doing since he came into the league three years ago. Um, DeBrinket, no surprise there that he's leading the team in goals. Um, the, the one guy that I'm just absolutely fascinated about, and, and you and I watch him in, in Guelph going up, but Robbie Fabry, when he's healthy, this guy is, yeah. he is unreal. If he can ever find a stretch of health, it keeps him in the lineup for the rest of the year oh. into the playoffs. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah, I remember Scott Walker telling us, he said, Sammy, I'm telling you right now, Robbie Fabry, will, there will be more Robbie Fabry jerseys sold than anyone in this draft class. Now, obviously that hasn't come to fruition because he's been injured so much and he's missed so much time. But is he a fun player to watch when he's healthy and in the lineup? My goodness. Oh. Yeah, a, a couple of things. One, I can recall Kyle Dubas was a general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And I remember at that OHL draft how much he pained uh, it was between two players that he was going to draft. It was either Robbie Fabry or Jared McCann, and he went with McCann because of yeah. size. Uh, but I also think of Robbie Fabry, um, and again, I'll, I'll go back to minor hockey or youth hockey, as we call it in the States, um, and the OHL Cup and the final and the Rebels uh, against the Marlboros, and it was Robbie Fabry uh, who ended up coming up on top. And that Marlboros team, as you recall, uh, was headlined by Connor McDavid, Sam Bennett, Joshua Hosang, Roland McEwen, yeah. like Jaden Addison, Jaden Lindo, like a murderer's row of great minor hockey players. But at the end of it, it was all about Robbie Fabry. Yeah, he's he's so good. He's so talented. He works in tight space as well. He's got a little bit of power to his stride. Uh, like a really, really yeah. good player. I'm, I'm hoping for Fabs that he can... He can keep it going. He's a point-per-game guy right now, and honestly, the way he plays when healthy, there's no reason to see why that would change the rest of the year. Yeah, so much fun to watch. Okay, meanwhile, the Ottawa Senators. Um, let me ask you, how did you see... I mean, it, it was it was a, it was was a an interesting one. You know, Jacques Martin returns to the Ottawa Senators mix as a consultant to the coaches. I don't know that this was something that DJ Smith put his hand up and requested. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's the opposite. But how do you see this dynamic now that one of the legends has returned um, and there's DJ Smith and his staff still there? Yeah, that was a fascinating move for sure. And, you know, Ottawa dipping into its past under uh, Michael Amar, which they've done on a couple of occasions already. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is these players really like the coach. And for whatever reason, they can't win sustainably in his tenure. Now, a lot of that has to do with, with goaltending. I think I'd love to see what DJ Smith's save percentage is since he's been the head coach there. And there's injuries, but every team has to deal with that. So maybe those aren't excuses as to why we haven't seen the best of the Ottawa centers. I do think there's some youth. I do think there were some expectations that were maybe unduly piled on to that group. But really, Jeff, at the end of the day, if you're DJ Smith, the way this year's gone with a new owner, you're probably thinking I'm one foot out the door anyways. So is this push me out the door a little further? Or is this a lifeline to me to maybe work on some areas where as a head coach, he has some weaknesses? And that's the way I'm looking at it. DJ's a smart enough guy to realize what's going on. I always talk about his preparation, his ability to motivate players, 
talking about how his players will go to the ends of the earth for him um, and, and mm. how that works. So I think there are some areas maybe in his coaching that Jock Martin can help address, whether it's the structure, the D side, play away from the puck. And not to say that DJ is completely deficient in those areas, but I do think there's some help to be offered there. And if you're DJ, you'd be, um, you'd be dumb not to take that help because it's almost a little bit like the writing's on the wall here. Hmm. Uh, Ottawa Senators facing off against the Detroit Red Wings on Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow in conversation with Sam Cosentino. Uh, I want to ask you about Tim Stutzla and then finish up with a conversation about Quentin Byfield. Same draft, one drafted second, one drafted third. Uh, your thoughts on what you've seen from Tim Stutzla so far in Ottawa, the emerging star? Well, it's funny because earlier in the year I was watching him really closely and I didn't like his body language. Frustration, head down, slapping the board, staying on the bench to look at the iPad after the period was over. There was a number of things there that I that I didn't like. Um, but since that that's kind of turned around here a little bit. And he's a really super dynamic player. My gosh, the way he handles the puck, uh, the speed that he attacks the game with, how smart he is and finding other players around him. He's He's a sensational player. The 90 points is no accident. What I think about uh, oh, yeah. him in general, and, and Jeff, I'd say this for the 2020 draft class. Lafreniere, oh, he's a bust. Quentin Byfield, he's a bust. People forget that yeah. they were drafted during the time of the pandemic. And so, yeah, yeah, some of them played games. Some of them didn't play the regular schedule. Their development was hindered by that. There is no question about it. And that has not been taken into consideration when speaking about these players, like look at Q right now. He's, he's a top line guy. Lafreniere, same thing, playing with Panarin yep. and, and keeping up and doing good things. And, and Sousa's, you know, he's driving. He's driving things in Ottawa. So it's just taken these guys a little longer than you would have expected. And that pandemic is, is the reason why I see that coming yeah. happen. Let me finish up with a quick chat about Quentin Byfield. Um, been mentioning him a lot. He's on maybe the best line, with all due respect, Alice, maybe the best line in the NHL with uh, Kopitar and Kempe. Um, that line, along with Quentin Byfield, just devouring the opposition. And last night, chewed up the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, set a new NHL record, 11 straight road wins to kick off a season. That's impressive. Byfield uh, with two goals and an assist. Ho-hum, he just rolls out of bed and gets two goals. That's Byfield now. And one of the things that we're all noticing is he's not as hunched over as he used to be. And Sammy, this is music to your ears, because I know you talked about this a lot. He's using a longer stick, Sammy. Longer. Yeah. Well, way to go, Q. But you, you get into that you know, professional environment. And it's funny because I've had a lot of conversations this year about guys that have done different things with their gear and whatever else. And you're just getting yeah. exposed to, to different players at that level and maybe players that do things similarly to you. And you're like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. Why don't you give it a try? Why don't you give it a try? funny i was down at the, the steelheads dressing room maybe three weeks ago and a couple of their players came in and said hey i was talking to tom freighter the equipment guy there i said uh, a couple of these guys came in and they wanted to use you know, longer sticks well, okay yeah yeah go ahead give it a go give it a go so i you know for q i've always suggested that that would be the thing because he's got size obviously but when yeah. you play hunched over with a shorter stick it just doesn't look that way and i think size means presence i really do so good to see q having adopted that and uh I don't think he's going back anytime soon, Jeffy. No, I don't think so. I think that's it. He's bonafide NHL. I think the only question now is at what point 
Uh, does he shift to the middle? And do we have to wait for Kopitar to retire uh, for that to happen? But that line is tops uh, in the NHL right now. And Byfield's a huge part of it. I know you might say, oh, it's, oh, you're playing with one of the best two-way players in the game. And Kopitar, one of the fastest players with Adrian Kempe. Yeah, but he's hanging uh, with those top dogs and thinking at that level as well. It's It's been marvelous for, for Quentin Byfield. Uh, Sammy, enjoy the game. Who are you with, by the way? Who's calling tomorrow's game? Uh, Singer. I got Singer and uh, Mike McKenzie. Nice. Oh, awesome. You have a great time. It's the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks so much, Sammy, as always. Thanks, Jeffy. Take care. There is Sam Cosentino, uh, lead draft analyst uh, for us at Sportsnet. Also uh, does Booth. He'll be in the booth tomorrow with Harna Ryan Singh uh, as part of the uh, Ottawa-Detroit broadcast. Uh, Michelle McKenzie there as well. Uh, also, um, Sammy does studio, and we see him on Wednesdays on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Let's bring in uh, Matty Marchese here for a quick one before we get to Elliot Friedman at the bottom of the hour. Uh, I'm still on the air, so Otani's not a Blue Jay yet, Matty. No, he's not. Uh, you, what you should have asked was, because Sammy was... A, he was a clubhouse uh, attendant for the Toronto Blue Jays sure at one point. And Sammy's Absolutely. got Sammy's got some stories. I mean, we can't tell a lot of them on the air, but he has got some stories about his oh, time yeah. there. But yes, uh, still nothing. So here we do have some sort of an update. Okay, Jeff. And now it's Otani okay. hasn't signed. Got? Um, but the private jet, and this was from uh, our pal Alex Sixero, uh, the private jet that yep. was that we do not know if it's carrying Shohei Otani or not from Santa Ana, California is set to arrive at Pearson airport here in Toronto around 4 30 PM Eastern. So we wait with bated breath for the arrival potentially of a global superstar to Toronto. Okay. Can I, uh, I'm going to have to edit some of this. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to edit some of the swears on this one, but, okay. uh, just before we went to air today, uh, our good friend, Shanna Goldman from mm-hmm. the athletic and the too many men podcast. Cause we always go back and forth on Jays versus Yankees. She's a big Yankees fan. Um, she, uh, she writes to me on text, you know, I was waiting for a text from you about how the Yankees are back to their evil empire ways of buying players but let's see if the Jays can beat them with a record-setting contract. We ha- may have to make a wager on next season. Hmm. And I responded, I don't want to jinx any of this. <laughs> I'm not saying one way or the other. Like, I don't want to be like, I, I live in dread of, like, Drake tweeting about this and I know. scotching the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, no, no, no. And keep, just ruining all Keep Drake like, away from oh, Shohei don't. Otani, please. We all know what happens when he gets near <laughs> athletes and teams. Just don't. So... Just for don't, for just you, don't. for you, are the Jays the? Because I know you don't cheer for hockey teams; you cheer for stories and people, and and I get all that. Yeah, are the Jays the team that you cheer for, like of all the sports? Because you yes. you don't have a direct affiliation yes. with baseball, yes. right? No, I, I I am unabashedly a Toronto Blue Jays homer. Love them. Um, but then again, having said that, like in the summer, even when Jays aren't on, like a ball game is always on mm-hmm. on one of the TVs in the house, like always. And I'll pretty much watch any ball game. Uh, I'll always watch, um, you know, every year there's a team that intrigues you. Like I watched a lot of Cincinnati Reds last summer. Hmm. You know, I watch a lot of specifically early. I watch a lot of Reds games, but um, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm full on, bought and sold, paid for, Blue Jays fan. As a matter of fact. 
I can't remember whether I mentioned this here or on the uh, on the podcast. My first job ever, Maddie, was working for Versa Foods. Okay. We used to have the concession contract at Exhibition Stadium selling hot dogs and jumbo cokes. 1985. So that would have been uh, I, the first year the Blue Jays were really good. And that was, you know, the uh, the Boston Red Sox and the Bruce Keeson incident with uh, George Bell. And then the Grand Slam from Ernie Witts. Like, I was there to watch all of that. And the only reason I took the job to walk up and down the stairs, which was great for your fitness. Sure. It's really a great way to work out. I just took the job so I could watch ball games for free. As, and I as you should. So, so, so Jeff, here's, uh, here's another update. I just saw this on Twitter. Um, there are, okay. There are more than 35 people that are tracking this flight on this website. So it's, it's an aviation. Yeah. It's flight radar 24 seven or flight radar or whatever it is. And there are over 3,500 people that are following this flight. So I I anticipate that you're going to be pulling up that website very shortly, Jeff. I think I might want to do that. Uh, Kelly Rudy just uh, texted me. The Rudys are huge Blue Jays fans. There we go. Donna wears her hat everywhere. But that's the thing, too. Like, that's that's the point about this. It's not just the... I mean, this point has been made everywhere and, and often. It's not just a single market. It's no. not just Toronto. It's, it's a country. It's Alberta. It's Manitoba. It's New Brunswick. It's Newfoundland. It's British Columbia. It's, Manit- it's, it's, it's a Canadian baseball team having said that i really want the expos to come back i really want montreal to have a team again but this is a uh this is like this is national news mm-hmm. this is not just a localized story this so is it's, complete it's national international news. it's and, international yeah, news is, jeff it's it's one of the biggest yeah, stars no. in sports period this is not you know this is not nothing as they would say okay so our bosses are really busy today so let's talk about rogers Oh, what's uh what do you think what do you think they offered? I don't know, but if it comes off my paycheck, I'm gonna be really pissed <laughs> off, Jeff. <laughs> it's funny. I have to see a couple of people tweet saying, Hey, I paid my Rogers bill on time, so I'm doing my part <laughs> yeah. to try to get out. I feel like here. I feel like it's half a billion dollars, Jeff. I really do feel like it's half a billion dollars. No, but like what 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 above and beyond? Like can you say like, yeah, I'll give you a piece of the wireless division, we'll give you a piece of the company. <laughs> like what do you do? Like I'm really I'm fascinated to hear what the pitch was. Yeah. Like aren't you? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I don't know I if we'll ever know, but I would be, love to be a fly on the wall there. Well, that's just it, right? Like I would love to be there's a few things <clears throat> which will which which we will, you know, never see. Uh, but would make amazing, amazing television shows. One, I've always thought this, NHL arbitration, cameras in the room. When each side is making their case. Oh, yeah. Specifically the team side, which just tears down the player to, 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 to explain to the arbitrator why they shouldn't be paying. And the other is when you make pitches like this. Mm-hmm. Like Elliot and I were talking about this on the podcast that came out this morning. The only thing that you can really compare it to in hockey I mean, John Tavares, not really. Zidane Ochara, Brad no. Richards. everybody knew he was going from Ottawa to Bob. Brad Richards is the one. Yeah, has to be. And I remember the that. Line, and the the lineup's out the door at the agency in Mississauga. And, uh, uh-oh, this iPad doesn't work because we do our presentation. Or even, you know, I, I guess the Maple Leafs courting Stamkos would have been a big one too. But the Brad Richards sweepstakes was the biggie. Like, mm-hmm. everybody 
was was courting Brad Richards. Like that would make a tremendous television show. Sure would. Like there's a there's a lot of things that we've that we sort of miss out on hockey history. Like again, it's a hockey show, so I'll I'll drag it back to hockey here. Um, and that's why I always feel again. I'll I'll keep banging this drum. Like you see all these if you're watching on 360, all these books behind me. Mm-hmm. There's very few written by general managers. You know why? General managers don't write books, and they're in control of the history and future of the game. Like, I would love to hear all the pitch. You know, Ron McLean did a great bit of business years ago, uh, and Doug McLean and Scott Morrison did even more in, in their latest book called Draft Day, um, documenting all the offers for Eric Lindros. Like, that is part of hockey history. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a real shame that Bill Torrey, um, again, like some will look at it as a badge of honor that he passed without coming clean about what he offered the Montreal Canadiens for the first pick that turned into Dennis Potvin. Because it was substantial, mm-hmm. as we all believe. Like, I think it's like five roster players plus picks. Like, that's part of hockey history. Yeah. And that's gone. Like, I always feel like it's a... Maybe obligation is too strong a word because I don't like telling people what to do. But we hear so much about good of the game and need to do this for the game and have to do that for the game. I would I would hope that somewhere, and this is why I love Berkey because he's written books. Um, that Doug McLean uh, has written books. Like that's why I think that there's an uh, I'll use the word obligation if you're a manager and in control of an area of hockey history. You have an obligation to document it, and then when it is "quote unquote" safe, release that information. Like you know, Kelly just uh, texted me a second ago. One of my the more profound stories that I still think about to this day is a story that Kelly told me about a conversation. We'll go to break on this with his then LA Kings general manager Rogie Vashon. And Kelly said that you know he went to Rogie one day and and said like you know how often do you talk about you know me and other players in trades? And Rogie said every day. That's my job. Like, mm-hmm. I have to be talking to every single general manager every day about everybody on the roster because that's my job as GM to put together the most competitive, um, the most competitive roster. So that's my obligation. And Kelly said that that was a little bit stunning or, or shocking. But when you really think about it, and I'm sure Kelly came to this revelation too, like, that's just how general managers behave. And I just think that they would be nice. If all of them, some of them, a few of the biggies, just documented all the stuff for history. Yep. For the good of the game, Maddie. I for agree. the good of the game. How yep. about that? I agree. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.